and welcome to another episode of Proactive Parenting. This is a show where I offer judgment-free advice on how to raise value-driven children in a way that's right for your family using the most current scientific research out there. I'm your host, Dr. Deanna Marie Mason. I'm a certified pediatric nurse practitioner, a published author, and an expert in child development. I'm also the mom of two gorgeous teens, so I know firsthand how much pressure and misinformation is out there, and that's why I'm here. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea and settle in, and let's let down our guard a bit because this is a safe space to ask questions and get real, honest answers about how to raise kids in a way that works for your family. In today's episode, I want to talk about something that I think has happened to a lot of families. In the past, when our child has been doing something, it's really common to go buy a parenting book, look online, talk to other parents, and try to find a fix. And after a lot of research, after a lot of reading, after a lot of talking with people, we end up finding a parenting technique that that sounds good. So we go ahead and try it with our family. And even though we put in the energy and we're doing the best we can, sometimes we have less than optimal results. And that can even happen when the method that we're, we're using is supposed to be foolproof. And at the end of it, we feel like a failure and we blame ourselves. And so I want to talk about that today. And it's something that I call accidental parenting. And accidental parenting really isn't our fault. Rather, it has to do with using a parenting technique or approach that isn't adaptable developmentally to connect with our kiddo where they're at in their particular developmental journey at that moment. In some cases, we might be asking too much of our child or perhaps too little. But in the end, the fault lies in the parenting technique because it's not a good fit. And it's this disconnect that I call accidental parenting. And that's what I want to talk about in today's episode. Now, the grand majority of parents I work with have every intent of being diligent, involved, and loving parents. And I believe them in that goal. But normally by the time that they've reached me in in my office, most of them have invested a large amount of money, time, energy, and love into their little ones only to find out that it hasn't worked out as they anticipated. Normally, there's a lot of strong feelings surrounding this reality. Parents voice frustration, disappointment, blame, feelings of insecurity, and sometimes even shame. But the good news is, when this happens, it isn't the fault of anybody. Rather, it's just the disconnect between the parenting technique that's being used and the actual developmental level of the child it's being used on in that moment. As I've said in other episodes, a lot of parenting techniques that are sold to parents claim to be easy and quick fixes, but in reality, they're only successfully used at a particular point in a child's development. And if your child falls outside that that range, that technique is not going to give you the results that you're anticipating because your child isn't primed to accept that technique the way you think they should. And in the end, that can lead to less than optimal results or even worse, a completely different outcome. And that's why it's so important that parenting techniques are flexible enough to be adapted to different ages and stages so that you're not changing techniques every time your child matures into a different 
age and stage, but rather you are just flexing that technique. So it continues to adapt and flow as your child grows and matures. If your parenting technique cannot flex to different ages and stages, it can lead parents to a different or even sometimes more problematic issue than what they were trying to solve. And I have this great example from my practice that I want to share with you so you have a better idea of what I'm, what I'm trying to describe here. I want to tell you about a mother I worked with many years ago now. Her name was Miriam, and she and her husband Ben had two small boys when I had first met them. Miriam was a full-time mom, and she was really dedicated to doing her absolute best. She scoured the internet reading information from parenting sites. She read all the parenting books. She talked to other moms. She really was informed. Miriam came from a place of some pretty harsh discipline as a child. And so for her, it was really important to search for ways to be a gentle mother. She wanted to give her children limits and discipline, but she wanted to do it in a way that was gentle and kind. And that's completely understandable. In one of the things that she heard about when she was investigating um, different techniques to reach her goal was a technique that was supposed to respect the child's inherent knowledge about themselves and incorporate that into discipline. So Miriam would give her three and five-year-old sons a chance to discuss what she was asking them to do. She applied this technique to just about everything, whether that was getting dressed, going down for a nap, or eating dinner. Miriam would give her boys a direction or an order like, hey, let's pick up our toys, it's time for lunch. And then listen patiently to their reply and opinions. And if the boys wanted to do something different from what Miriam was asking them to do, such as um, they wanted to play 20 more minutes with their toys or they wanted to leave them out so that they could play with them after lunch, Miriam was okay with that. She allowed them to modify plans within reason. Miriam had read online that this type of parent-child interaction increases self-confidence in the child, it helps build strong attachment between the parent and child, and it respected the child's autonomy. And Miriam felt like the extra time that she was spending to explain everything to her boys and to accommodate their preferences was really worth the effort because it would lead to emotionally healthy children. So as the boys grew, Miriam had to spend more and more time explaining why she was asking them to perform tasks or engage in family activities. And little by little, the boys began resisting her demands more and more. They became argumentative and they started to fight Miriam for power to choose what they did, when they did it, and why they had to do it. And in a couple years, Miriam was exhausted arguing with her seven and nine-year-old every day. It seemed like every interaction had become a battle of wills. And the frustrating part of the situation to Miriam was that she's just started to give in because she didn't have the time or energy to continue the argument with her boys. So soon, Miriam began avoiding giving her sons directions at all or making requests just to save time. She did everything herself and just ended up serving her boys. And it wasn't long before the boys were veering into activities and behaviors that didn't really fit with Miriam's and Ben's values for their family. But getting the boys to do chores, finish their homework, get up for school, or to eat meals that Miriam prepared became constant sources of conflict. And when I saw them in my office, Miriam was completely surprised that her parenting approach had turned out so differently than she had anticipated. 
She blamed herself for doing something wrong. But in reality, Miriam had followed the technique properly, but it wasn't the right technique for her family. Miriam was accidental parenting. Accidental parenting happens when parents apply rules, limits behaviors, or structures, or really any parenting technique or approach with the intent of achieving one outcome, but really precipitating another. And as in the case of Miriam, that outcome being precipitated was neither anticipated or desired. This happens because parents aren't really fully aware of how their actions are being interpreted by their developing child. What works at one age and stage may not be transferable or adaptable directly to other ages and stages. Or even worse, a parenting technique may superficially be addressing a child's behavior, but teaching a fundamentally wrong message. And the only way to avoid these issues is to truly understand how your child develops and use that knowledge to guide your parenting practices. Miriam's approach didn't turn out like she hoped because it didn't fit with the developmental age of her boys. Her boys, when she started this technique, were three and five. Preschool children between the ages of three and six are fluctuating between independence and dependence with their parents. They vacillate between a magical world that they want to live in and the realities of the real world. Now, developmentally speaking, when I say magical world, what I mean is little ones, they mix reality and fantasy to create a magical world. Generally, that's defined as getting what you want just because you really, really want it. But this magical world isn't grounded in effort or hard work or practice. So it'd be wanting to fly because you really, really want to, because your parents read you Peter Pan, and you believe that if you just wish hard enough, you'll be able to fly. That's something that children at this age think in their magical world. Now, conversely, the real world, or reality, in a developmental sense, is defined as the natural limits and constraints that we all have, and the natural consequences of our actions, and that everyone has both rights and responsibilities. So, in my Peter Pan flying scenario, the Real world or reality says that no matter how much we want to fly because we wish it, gravity holds us to the earth. And if we jump from a high table or chair, we're going to fall to the earth because of those natural limits that are on us. And that's a natural consequence of falling when we jump. So together, these are dueling worlds for our preschoolers, the magical world versus reality. And our little ones ages three to six, learn about the reality part through cause and effect. So slowly, their magical thinking evolves towards reality as they have more and more experiences that confirm reality, limits, natural consequences, and responsibilities. And they understand that their magical thinking, while very beautiful and lovely, doesn't match with what's happening around them. And this really isn't a an essential process to get them ready to enter school and complete all the necessary responsibilities for school success. So while Miriam's approach was very gentle and caring, which is what her goal was with discipline, it didn't actually help her guide her sons away from magical thinking towards accepting reality. Her desire to give her boys happiness and control over their activities interfered with the normal process of cause and effect that should have propelled them towards understanding reality. And Miriam didn't notice this because when the boys 
were little in that preschool stage, the struggles were little and the issues were flexible. When to put on pajamas or when to pick up toys, it didn't really matter. So it didn't seem like a big deal. But as the boys grew and entered school, those struggles became larger and the issues were less flexible. Children have to complete their homework. Children need to be up in the morning in time to catch the bus or to walk to school or to arrive to school on time. So the issues weren't visible when they were little because the issues are little, but as the boys grew, those issues became much bigger problems. Also, the boys were so young when Miriam started using these techniques of listening and allowing them to adapt what they were doing that the boys had no idea if what they were choosing was good or bad. They were still in the stage of magical thinking and were basing their responses to her on their desires with no knowledge about the outcomes that their decisions would have. So eating ice cream for breakfast in the end is cute and fun, but over time, they're not gonna have a nutritious diet in order to grow and mature properly. So their desires weren't based on anything other than their wishes. While Miriam's boys were actually developmentally ready to make that transition from magical thinking to reality, her parenting approach actually got in the way. Because she didn't have the knowledge about her boys' natural development, Miriam was accidental parenting and giving positive feedback for negative behaviors. When she was discussing and compromising things with her sons, she was interfering with that natural development that natural transition from the world of fantasy to the world of reality. Her parenting style was rewarding negative behaviors such as talking back, dismissing parental authority, choosing not to follow instructions. And through Miriam's responses to her son's behaviors, they were learning that they had the right to challenge requests from adults, that they had the right not to follow directions and to value their ideas and desires stemming from that magical world more than what their mother was saying and directing them to do, which was based in reality. In the end, Miriam had given her boys way more power and control than they could possibly manage at such a young age. And being young boys, they had no idea of what they were doing, but enjoyed being in control of situations to get the outcomes they desired. Furthermore, Miriam's positive feedback of taking time to listen and allowing them to change plans or ignore instructions only reinforced their belief in the magical world. As they grew up, they didn't have a chance to naturally develop a sense of reality. Instead, from Miriam's best intentions, her boys learned that they had the right to have their own way in nearly any situation. And over time, the boys' desire to have power in this magical world was becoming really deeply rooted and that turned them in to argumentative and difficult children because they just wanted to resist reality. Now the situation Miriam found herself in was one of accidental parenting, as I've said, and with the best of intentions, all the love in the world and a lot of effort, Miriam was using a parenting strategy without knowing how that information would affect her family in the short and long term. Like many parents, Miriam liked the idea of a parenting approach, but didn't know how it would be internalized by her children at their particular developmental age and stage. She looked at it only from her viewpoint as a grown adult, 
but our kiddos aren't adults yet. They're still learning about the world from us. So we need to evaluate what we do by what our children need at each age and stage. Rarely do the one-size-fits-all approaches that are available everywhere to guide parents, rarely do they work. Failure to factor in our children's developmental age, along with our family's values, will lead us towards this issue of accidental parenting. So in the end, how do we avoid accidental parenting, no matter our children's age or stage? I know in today's example that I used, it was really related to young children, but be aware that accidental parenting can occur at any age, infant, toddler, preschooler, school age, tween, adolescent. It happens to parents at every age. But there's three simple steps you can do to avoid or stop accidental parenting. The first is to keep in mind that there's no such thing as a good, a bad, an easy or a difficult child. All kiddos have the capacity to be successful, but each child will need a different support to help them along. Therefore, a one-size-fits-all approach probably isn't going to work for each child and definitely won't work as they continue their growth and development. Second, use your child's developmental age to help know what to do, when to do it, and how long to do it, and how to adjust if needed. Using only your child's chronological age or comparing your child's abilities to other children of the same age is going to lead you in the wrong direction. Your kiddo is unique and perfect moment to moment and should not be compared with other children. Instead, we need to kind of celebrate the uniqueness of each of our children and base our parenting actions on where they're at in this particular moment. Now, if you don't know the difference between chronological age and developmental age, please take a listen to my other podcast on that topic to better understand this important aspect of your child. It will really help you see your child in a new light and, more importantly, avoid accidental parenting. And finally, third, children who are understood and supported in their personal development are challenged naturally to be their best and to know their abilities. Kiddos who have clear limits and who are held accountable for their actions grow into happy, healthy, value-driven teens and later adults. They develop this natural security that propels them to reach and stretch further to learn more about themselves. They don't resist growing up. They're actually ready to take on the challenges of getting older. Our kiddos are designed to develop and move through each age and stage in a very predictable and progressive manner. We just have to support them in that progression and not get in the way of what should happen. And if we avoid accidental parenting, that's how we do that. So just a quick summary here. Try to remember that accidental parenting happens when we don't understand how our parenting approach is understood by our developing child. A lack of knowledge about child development is generally the cause. So by understanding and using the natural progressive development of our children to customize our approach at each age and stage, we can greatly reduce the chances of accidental parenting and all the unanticipated consequences that it brings. I think that's a good overview of accidental parenting. If you have any questions you'd like answered, please don't hesitate 
hesitate to send me an email at deanna at deannamariemason.com. And you can also find out more about me and what I do at my website, proactiveparenting.com. You can check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for my name, Deanna Marie Mason, and find a community of parents just like you. Finally, if you're interested in buying any of my books or my online courses, you can do so on my website. And again, that's proactiveparenting.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, why don't you tell a friend or leave a comment on iTunes reviewing my podcast. I think that's all from me right now. I'm Dr. Deanna Marie Mason signing off. I wish you the best. I'll see you in an episode soon. Until then, take care and be well. Bye-bye.